0: Hey, hey, good evening and good, nice and nice to see everybody here. where We're live and also those of you that are in any of our six locations and those of you online, thank you for tuning in. Want to give a shout out to some folks. I got some emails from West Virginia, heard some stories out of Iowa. So wherever you're in tu- Ecuador, of course, is tuning in. So we appreciate you being a part of uh, Rockbridge Online and those of you that are in one of our six locations. Hey, just let me catch you up. We're in a series that we've been in for several weeks. Weeks now called battle tested, and it's really flowing together from what we talked about uh, coming out of the into the new year. That there's a question we're asking ourselves: Do we want a future based on what we can do, or do we want a base a future based on what God can do? And we're leaning into this and saying, Hey, what God can do, it comes through our dependence upon Him, our prayers to Him, and this is what we're leaning into. This is why we've initiated Daniel Days. Our next one is March the third, by the way, and, and why we're in this series because what we've said All along is that God has to battle test us or prepare us to, to get us ready for what he can do that he has to get us ready for what we, he can do. And then last week, we began to talk about being in the kingdom of God and being under the authority of the king, which means we're under the authority of his word, which is how he exercises that authority. Now, this concept of kingdom is critical for our understanding of what God can do and how we can be positioned to receive, to participate in, to experience what God can do. So let me show you this in the word of God. This is Colossians 1.13 he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. Before Christ, before you give Jesus the steering one of your life, you're in a kingdom. You're in a kingdom of sin. You're in a kingdom that you're of darkness. You're in the kingdom of Satan. And he has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, here's the cool part of that. When we live in the kingdom of Jesus, and so that's an eternal kingdom that God is bringing to fruition, and, and that's the best place, as we, as we ended the message last week, I said the best place to live is, is not in America, it's not at the beach, it's not at the lake, it's in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Here's the challenge, though. Until Jesus comes again, we live in the kingdom of his son, surrounded by a kingdom of darkness. And, and so there's a tension and, and we all feel it. And in fact, you, you, don't, you, may not, I mean, you may not describe it the way I'm describing it because I'm describing it in biblical and theological terms. You may describe it by, man, there's evil in the world. You may say 2020, and so far 2021 feels like darkness, feels like plague, and people, is Jesus coming back? I mean, what's going on? You don't even have to be a Christian, and you know there's just dark things, there's evil things, and people are searching for hopeful things, but we're in the kingdom of Jesus. He's the author of our hope. And so for us as Christ followers, and those of you who are considering becoming a Christ follower, here's the challenge that we have. There are dangers to avoid because even though you know we're in the kingdom of the sun you're surrounded by a kingdom of darkness and it acts like a black hole and there's a gravitational pull and a natural drift nobody drifts to holiness nobody drifts to positivity nobody drifts to eternal hope we drift to despair we drift to frustration we drift to futility and we'll drift back to sin it's a universal condition until the king comes back for the king's people but because of the hope and the power of, and the promises of the kingdom there's also privileges and purposes to, and purpose to maximize so the question we'll wrestle with today is how do we avoid these dangers and how do we maximize our purpose and how do we maximize the privileges of being a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ so our, our main passage today is going to come from Hebrews chapter 3, and we'll be in about three or four verses. So Hebrews chapter 3, I'll start reading in verse 12. The whole challenge that's being addressed in Hebrews chapter 3 focuses primarily around these dangers and then positioning us to experience the privileges and the purpose of being part of the kingdom of God. So it begins like this in Hebrews three twelve. it says, watch out. Now, you say that to your kids, you say that to yourself, you say that to your teammates, you say that to people all the time, because why? There's danger. There's a kingdom of darkness. There's a kingdom of evil. There's a kingdom that we, I think, whether you're yet a Christ follower or not, like I said earlier, you're aware of this dynamic. Many of us have maybe slipped into or been affected by or influenced by this. And so we're not ignoring reality. We're not denying that the world's a dangerous place. In fact, he says, watch out, brothers and sisters, so there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Go back to like part two or three of this series. And we said, God is focused on the heart, that our hearts are where we live in the kingdom, or where we drift out from under the kingdom. Our heart is where we experience the privileges of being a part of the kingdom of God. Our heart is also where the dangers lurk, the dangers of unbelief, the dangers of drifting back into evil or sin or bad habits. So he said, watch out, brothers and sisters, so there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So this is a command But here's what we need to know about God's commands. God always empowers what he commands. If he gives us a command, he gives us the ability, the capacity, the grace, the means to fulfill the command. So here's the question. How are we supposed to watch out? How are we supposed to watch out? Now, if you've grown up in religion or you've grown up in church, you tend to think, man, I've just got to try harder. I've got to be more careful. If you've grown up kind of influenced by the individualism of our culture, then we think, I've just got to watch out. I've got to be careful. Or or, or you're like, what does that really mean? But remember, God always empowers what he commands. And so in verse 13, he tells us how we are to watch out. He says, encourage each other daily while it is still called today. Because the day's coming when the king will come back. But encourage each other daily, what I still call today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. So he takes a problem in the individual heart that my heart can drift, my heart can be discouraged, my heart can be drawn to darkness, my heart can get out of alignment with the king's heart. He takes an individual heart and he says, look, the solution to your individual problem, how you watch out for your heart is you got to have each other in your life. You have to have an each other to encourage you so that you do not drift, so you're not deceived, so that you are not hardened. And this points back to a couple of verses earlier in in verse 6 where we're told that Jesus is doing something. And what is he doing? It says Christ was faithful as a son over his household. And this takes us to a concept of community, a concept of the church. And he says, we are of that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. So the whole, author of the, the whole point of Hebrews is we've got to hold on. We've got to watch out. And the way we watch out is to have an each other that encourages us. The way we watch out is to participate and be connected to this household that Jesus is building, that Jesus has created. And so here's what we need to say Christianity is a we faith, not a me faith. Now, we have to understand as living in America, where we put so much emphasis on a person's individual liberties and a person's individual rights, that we can suddenly Americanize our Christianity and make it about me and God and what I think and what I believe, and I don't need you, I've got, I'm good, and we can individualize our Christianity so much, so there's really not a functioning each other in our lives to help us maximize the privilege and the purpose of being in the kingdom, and also to protect us from the dangers of being a part of the kingdom of the sun while we're surrounded by a kingdom of darkness. I just want to illustrate this to you by showing you a video this takes place in Africa on, on some African plains and it's called the Battle at Kruger. The Battle at Kruger. And we'll show you this here. We've got some, these are Cape buffalo. They travel in massive packs and massive herds and they're going here by the waterhole. and camouflaged over here we see some lions, right? And you, you've, you've seen enough Discovery Channel to know what's going to happen, but we've got this herd. I said we about 100 buffalo of these Cape buffalo, and the lions are there crouching and looking, like, and there goes the big bull. He's running away, and here come the lions, and they're going to grab one. And which one are they going to grab but the baby, right? And so this pack of lions seems to have won, and they pull this baby into <clears throat> the river there, and they're just mauling and gnawing, And all of us are like, some of us are like, that's the coolest thing ever. Some of you are crying. I see it. And they don't show you this. An alligator actually jumps out at the baby, but the lions pull it out of the water. But then something crazy happens. And this doesn't happen all the time if you study the Cape Buffalo, but the herd starts to come back. Somebody just said good. Amen, right? We're all praying. Everybody's prayer life is improved by watching this video that took place like 10 years ago. All right, so they come up upon the lions, and here comes one of the big bulls. And he starts to push a lion away. And they're all, look at them, they're all forming together and, and getting tight-knit. And this one chases one of the bigger lions away. And they keep coming and they stalk on these lions and stalk them and stalk them. And uh, one lion in just a minute is going to get gored by one of these, uh, these, these Cape buffalo. But notice, that there it is, the, the goring of the lion. Notice the strength right now. Now, could one buffalo do that? But a herd of buffalo working together in unity can protect, can preserve, can maximize. They come back because so the calf still hadn't gotten up. He's, the calf's still alive. They come back, and there's a couple of lions still left. And they keep coming in and they keep coming in. The calf is now trying to stand up. And you'll see the, there comes more buffalo. Another lion gets trampled. The calf is now on its feet and back in the pack. Safe, preserved, and protected. Who's the strong ones now? The buffalo. Who wins the battle at Kruger? The buffalo. Because they work together. Look, listen to this scripture. Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Our God knows this, and our God has created the church to protect us against this. I'll never forget, this was years ago at Rockbridge. Beth and I were in a, an incredible small group. It's one reason we promote small groups so much. And uh, one particular night we were meeting, and uh, we, we were going through something. A problem and I'll never forget the group leader pulled Beth and I to the center of the living room and laid hands on us and just prayed over us and the group members just prayed over us. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about, you know, if we're isolated, if we're just a someone, we're so vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And here's the thing, as I was thinking about on this today, I can't even tell you what the problem was. I've forgotten the problem, but I've never forgotten that prayer. And the power and the renewed perspective that God gave us through that. You see, we're in the kingdom of the sun, but we're surrounded by the kingdom of darkness. And so we have to be part of, we have to have an each other that protects us from the lion. And and there's a goal of this grace. This grace that God gives us, the grace of the household of God, the grace of the church. Here's what the goal is. Go back to Hebrews 3.14 and notice the word of God says, For we have become participants in Christ... Full participants in the glory, the eternity, the beauty, the perfection in Christ. If we hold firmly until the end, the reality that we had at the start, the reality that we had at the start. And how does God help us survive and thrive and hold on? He gives us in each other. He gives us what we would call a church. He gives us what we might call a body, a church family family. But here's the risk that we see emerging. And I speak in the Ameri- to the American church. I speak to some of you who come to Rockbridge Community Church. In the American church, there has been this drift where we would say we're believers, but we're not belongers. I would submit to you that is a foreign concept to our king. I would submit to you that is an unbiblical concept. I would submit to you that is why in many people's eyes the church is losing because we've been been drugged into the river on the plains like the baby calf, but there's no herd to come protect us and help us. And we're being battle tested and purified. And I think one of the great goals that God has for the pandemic, and it's a a major part of my prayer life, is that God is purifying, refining, and strengthening His church to have a renewed freshness of His power and His purposes as being an outpost of the kingdom of the Son. So you see, it's easy to talk about our faith, or it's easy to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But if we're a Christ follower, and we follow Jesus Christ, then we follow Christ together. We follow Christ together. We follow Christ with one another. Now, now here's the challenge, okay? Here's the challenge. Everybody here, you can be an atheist. You could be not been to church for 30 years. This will be your first time here. doesn't matter why you're here. We're glad you're here. But you, no matter who you are, where you're coming from, you have an impression of the church. You, you have an experience of the church, good or bad. You have a preference for the church. You wish we would sing more of this, dress more like that. Had this ministry, had that. You have a traditional understanding. All of us, the church is not a neutral word. I just want us to come back and make it a Jesus-defined word. And so what I want to do is I just want to say, okay, is there a path forward to this New Testament concept? Forget about American concept. Forget about the church you grew up in. Forget about everything you've ever heard about the church. What did Jesus do? Why did Jesus create the church? And and let's come back to that. So for some of you, here's the challenge. And it's a big challenge and we need the hope of the Holy Spirit. You've got to unlearn what you think church is unlearn it. Some of us have to learn what it truly is supposed to be and why it's part of and essential to the plan and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we have so privatized and individualized our relationship with Jesus Christ that this word together, this sense of belonging, no, I'm a believer, but you got to be a belonger too. And so let's see if there's a path forward. And so here's a couple of steps that I think will help us. First one is this. Let's reclaim the beauty and the purpose of the church. I, I did not say the church is perfect but let's reclaim the beauty and the purpose of the church. It's not my idea. It's not your idea. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't your other pastor's idea. It's not your grandmama's idea. It is Jesus's idea. And when we can see the beauty of the church, I think it will give us a vision to, to say, man, that is amazing. I want to be a part of that. I need to be a part of the beautiful thing that Jesus created called the church. Now let's make us sure We're clear on this theologically. Jesus' Christ did not just come to save sinners before you call me a heretic or something let me explain he did not just come to save sinners he came to build a community of saved sinners as well a community of saved sinners now because I use this word sinners you will never find a perfect church if you do don't join it because you'll probably ruin it right but you'll never find it But this is part of what Jesus came to do as our king. Listen to what Matthew says. Jesus asked his disciples, he said, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, well, you're the Messiah. And Jesus replied and said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being." Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, which means called out ones, a gathering, a group of people, this, build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. We just saw that on the plains of Africa, right? The Cape Buffalo, you came to take them. Will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So God gives the keys to the kingdom of heaven, not to President Trump, not to President Biden, not to the Supreme Court, not to the Pope, not to the United Nations, not to your boss, not to science. God gives the keys to the kingdom of heaven to who? This ragtag group of people from all walks of life who have been mercifully and graciously forgiven sinners. That's who get the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I hope that will excite you. I hope that says, so I want to be a part of that. Jesus died for you to become a part of that. Jesus died for you and I to become a part of his church. That's who he gives the keys of the kingdom of heaven to. That a church is like an embassy. And you know how we put embassies in foreign countries? And the embassy is, is represents the interest of its nation. The embassy showcases what that country is like and it is territory of that country even though it's inside a foreign country. The church is an outpost of the king. The church is an embassy of the king. It's not perfect, but we demonstrate and we declare what it is like to be part of the kingdom of the sun to the surrounding kingdom of darkness. Not only that, Jesus has even a grander purpose for the church. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 3:10. He says God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. There's a cosmic purpose to the church. He's displaying to the demonic realm his power, his grace, and his purpose. How dare we reduce church to a building an hour a week or something that's optional unless I get something better to do? Because look at it. God is showcasing to the cosmos what he's doing. So we have this grand purpose of the church that has a purpose globally. It has a purpose locally. And and then and then Paul brings it down to the individual level, like you and I sitting here as individuals. He says, now you are all the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. Each one of us, the moment you and I give Jesus Christ this of the steering wheel of our lives, not only are we transferred in the kingdom of son, the Son, we're also become part of a universal big C church. That's to be lived out and expressed locally. So my plea to all of us would be, listen, we cannot make, we cannot make optional what our Savior and King has made essential cannot make optional what Christ has made essential. So I, I just want to ask us a question, okay? We're being battle-tested. We're being refined. Many of us wonder about the future of the evangelical church and our nation and what, what, what's going on. Many of us wonder about how, how is our nation becoming darker. Many of us are asking questions. And, and I think if, if you want to be part of the solution. If you want to be part of God's best is yet to come, you got to be part of his bride. You got to be part of his church. So here's my question, okay? Does your view of church match Jesus's? I, not, not, not your grandmother's. Not the culture that's around us. But we said last week, if we're following Jesus, we're, then our first question is, what does the Bible say? So what are the words of Jesus? What are the words of God? What are the words of Scripture? Teach us and tell us about the church. We've talked about it. So does your view match Jesus's? And what I'm praying is that whatever your view of the church was when you walked in here today, by the time the Holy Spirit's done with us, our view more closely matches Jesus. Because if we're going to see revival or awakening, if we're going to see the forces of darkness pushed back, I am a thousand percent convinced it will come through the church of Jesus Christ. We've lost power for decades. We've individualized and privatized and allowed people to be picked off one at a time like the baby calf of the Cape Buffalo. But perhaps we can learn the lesson of the herd. Perhaps we can learn... And grasp the vision of our king. It's time to come together. It's time to belong to what Jesus joined us to when he died for us. Secondly, we must understand first and foremost the church is a people plural people. It's a we, it's not a me, it's a P, people, right? And talk of the church this way. Talk of the church as a group of people. Let's not talk of the church as an hour a week. Let's not talk of the church as an institution, although it has some institutional skeletons that give it framework and give it coherency. Let's not talk of the church as a date on the calendar. Let's not talk of it. Let's talk of the church as our people. It's our herd. It's our people. You know, that, that what, what happened in the fall was a relational catastrophe. God put us together, said it's not good for man to be alone. And marriage now illustrates the church. God, God put us together and, and sin drove us apart. But Christ brings us back together and puts us together in a body, in a team, in a family, in a herd. So let's understand the church first and foremost as a people. And then from there, let's define the church. The local church, here's here's a working definition, is a community of Christians who live as on-the-ground protection against the enemy, on-the-ground protection against the enemy, and also as an expression of the supremacy of Jesus, the kingship of Jesus, by advancing his gospel through discipleship, students of the king, and expansion geographically, ethnically, and numerically. That's it. That's the church. So, so that is a far different vision of, well, I joined the, joined the church because I like the music. That's a whole bigger, hey, we left that church because we didn't like the color of the choir robes. Whole lot, right? But think about how Americans change churches and why we pick churches. I would submit to you that the majority of Christian Americans do not choose a church based on the definition of Jesus, but on the drive to satisfy their own personal preferences. We choose a church like we choose a restaurant. Does your view of church match Jesus' view of church? Yes, the church is for me because there's times I'm like that baby calf. And I need some brothers and sisters to pull me out of the river and pull me out of the jaws of the enemy. So yes, the church is for me. The church helps me grow. The church feeds me the word of God. The church gives me community. The church allows me to worship. The church helps me observe the, the, the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's supper. So yes, the church is for me, but the church is not about me. It is about a king who has created an embassy and an outpost to protect his people, but also to help them maximize their purpose and the privileges of being part of the kingdom. So the final step would be that we commit and or repent. That we commit and or we repent. First, let's talk about the negative or the repentance. I think we must repent of merely dating the church or cheating the church. See, here's what's happened in in, in America. And whether this fits you or not, I'll let that be between you and the Holy Spirit. But see, in America, we've got three kingdoms. We have the kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom of darkness. But there's also a kingdom of self. And what happens is the kingdom of self will oscillate between whichever kingdom serves its needs, wants, and gives it what it wants in the moment. So you have people who are living in the kingdom of self, and they'll move over and try to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus when they need it. But then when they don't need it, they'll move back to darkness or back to the kingdom of self. And so all of this is competing in the, to, to take the, the, the purpose of the church, the mission of the church, and it diminishes it. It diminishes it. And and so then we will end up bearing the consequences of a cheated church and a diminished vitality of the church. So, So what are some signs of cheating and dating the church? Here's a few. I'm a Christian but do not believe in organized religion. Cannot back that up biblically. Cannot back that up biblically. What does the Bible say? I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in organized religion. Cannot back that up biblically. When Paul compares the church to a body, a body is organized. How do you get a group of people together that aren't organized? That's called chaos. And love gets left to chance, and accountability and encouragement goes out the window. Paul told Titus, appoint elders in every town. That's organization. Acts 6 We need people to help in the distributing of food. We've got to get organized to ensure we don't overlook people getting fed. So so that's sign of you're just dating the church and cheating the church. Me and God, God is all I need. Cannot back that up biblically. Cannot back that up biblically. It sounds cool. It sounds like American self-sufficiency, baby, and American independence, but it is not biblical. It is not good for them to be alone. Another sign, My preferences are greater than God's purpose for the church. The only way way Rockbridge Community Church got created, I am convinced of this and I thank God for those twenty, twenty-five people. The only way Rockbridge Community Church came into existence is a group of people got together in a living room in Rocky Face, Georgia and said, our preferences today die so that God's purposes for his church can, can dominate. Nothing more. So people, hey, I'd prefer to wear a coat and tie, but hey, I don't want to build a barrier. I'd prefer this kind of music, but hey, I understand we need to build bridges. It's the only way. But I would submit to you, you go back all the way to the beginning, and the church was always first and foremost about God's purposes and not individual preferences. Signs you're jading and cheating the church. You, they, somebody, and someone versus us, we, and our. Well, y'all should do something about that. Well, somebody ought to. No, no, no. Us, we, our. Us, we, our. Signs of dating and cheating the church. Well, they don't really need me. Sometimes people say that about Rockbridge. I want to say this right now on behalf of all six campuses and our digital ministry. We need everybody doing their part to fulfill the purposes of God. You can have a conversation online with Emmanuel right now. You can have a conversation after the services with any of our campus pastors, staff, host team. We need you. We need you. We need you. Another sign of dating, cheating the church, is that my complaining about the church is greater than my commitment to the church. I want to say, let me just go ahead and get it out there. There will always be a reason to complain about Rockbridge Community Church. Always. You can start with me. There will always be a reason. Okay? Because the church is made up of who? Saved sinners. Like you and me. But there's a greater thing going on. The grace of God is being displayed for the glory of God in the heavenly places and out into the kingdom of darkness because God is using saved sinners to imperfectly demonstrate what it's like to live under the perfect benevolent rule of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we need to repent perhaps, but we also need to commit to Jesus' bride. I think it's so insightful that Jesus compared the marriage relationship to his relationship with the church. Listen to the words of God. We are members of his body. That means members of his church, expressed locally. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is the first marriage in Genesis. This is in response to the first not good. So in Genesis, th- Genesis 1 and 2, God was looking at marriage in that moment, but the movement was always to the church. The marriage between Adam and Eve was to illustrate What was coming later in the church. So, look, he says, this is what God said in the scriptures in Genesis. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Marriage illustrates that. So, I want to ask us all a second question Do you love the church enough to marry her? Have you ever thought of church that way? I think a lot of us have, well, I use the church using my wife doesn't work so well in my marriage i don't know about yours but do you love the church enough to marry her see let's remember something let's remember the price jesus paid and the plans that he has for his church jesus his church purchased with his own blood the blood of jesus created the church the blood of Jesus created the church. That's the price he paid. And then look at his purpose. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or imagine. And we want what do we want a future based on? What we can do or what God can do. So this is what he can do. He can do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory. And where is God going to do what God's going to do? In the church and in Christ Jesus because they're one. They're married. To all generations forever and ever. Amen. So do we love the church enough to marry her? So let's love the church that Jesus loves. And that love is going to be expressed specifically, practically, and consistently. And I could even say locally. Jesus loves the church that's made up of sinners. Jesus loves the church that's committed to him, his word, and his kingdom and his cause. Jesus loves that church. And then finally, let's build the church that Jesus loves. You know, in Matthew where he says, we read it, I will build my church. And then he puts us in it and asks us to be a part of the building process through our time and our gifts and our commitment and our talents and everything we would put into the church. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 4, 16. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part, so individual, does its work. What a beautiful, amazing thing, the church. So, Robert, here's what's going to happen now. I'm going to invite our pastors to come to the stage areas, and they're just going to share with you some ways you might connect. And each part, that's all of us listening, your part of each part can do its part to build up Jesus' church. You know, I, 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 I want to say this. I, I'm blessed because I, I have been a part of some great organizations. I've been a part of some great athletic teams. I got to go, you know, to a great high school. I got to be a part of the United States Naval Academy. I got to be a part of the United States Navy. I got to be on, one of the t- I got to be on two ships that were some of the greatest ships at that time on the East Coast. Nothing compares. To Jesus' church. Does your view of the church match his? Do you love her enough to marry her? To commit to her? To make her look beautiful? May we all recommit to being his church in our time. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for uh, your word to us. Thank you for the church. God, I ask for forgiveness on behalf of myself and others because sometimes, God, in my spirit, I've, been, I've minimized the church. In my spirit, I've gone through the motions, and I confess that as a pastor, God, who's <laughs> like the professional church guy. God, right here, right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, may we see the church as you intend her to be. May we recognize you died to create her, that you join us all individually together as part of your universal church. And then you invite us to express that commitment locally and help build her up and shine light from the kingdom of your son out into the kingdom of darkness. So God, I pray for a restoration of the church in America, of the church here that we call Rockbridge Community Church. God, I pray for all churches in our six locations the churches that are faithful to your word and proclaim the glory of your son. I pray your favor upon them. God, we need healthy churches, Christ-centered churches, churches that proclaim Jesus, and we need your spirit, God, to help us. Lord, I pray right now in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that you would bring glory through your church. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.